Good morning. Good to see you all and congratulations to all of you. Aren't, aren't we proud of them? And I'm grateful for BJ and his whole team as they have invested in their lives uh, over these years and will continue to pray for them and so on. So thank you for that. You and bring that to, to everyone who is involved with that. You know, some of you I'm concerned about, right? Because you're going to have a long commute every single week to come back to church here. (laughs) (laughs) It's just going to be a while, but, but, uh, but you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Just call mom and dad and say, you know, you need to pay pay for my train ticket. (laughs) So anyway, on a day like this, we've had, we've had, um, three, uh, kind of focuses, if you will, uh, uh, for the last uh, three Sundays on, on uh, reproducing soil and rejuvenating love uh, last uh, Sunday. And then I want to talk about, on a day like this, re-energizing re, uh, or refreshing energy. And we have a text uh, that speaks to that in a very speci- specific way. We all know that things are new all the time, yes? <clears throat> Some of you do not feel that things renew all the time. I don't know where you are, right? But that's just how it is. Things are not just speeding up. The acceleration is speeding up. And it's a crazy world in so many ways that it's hard to kind of put a hold on that. Just think about this. Think about how long things used to take and now what took 100 years now take 10 and what used to take 10 now take one and what used to take a year now takes a day. You know, I just looked up a couple of few things on that and we realized that this is how it is. Things are just moving so fast. Books are coming out now faster than you can read them almost on the speed of the acceleration, not just the speed of, of newness. So every new thing comes quicker than the new thing used to come. Just think of this. In 2003, some little kiddos, uh, well, not all that little, but, you know, Scandinavian kiddos playing in the garage and the mom and dad, and they thought about, is it possible that we can talk together on video, maybe using a con- computer? They called it Skype. And those who have said that they were using the mom's and dad's garage, you know, in 2005, it came out in 2003, 2005, they sold it for $2.6 billion. Um, you know, so if your kids are playing in the garage, maybe that's not a bad thing. And then that turned into just in 2010, they, they said they had about 600 million people who are using that in some capacity or another. And then came Zoom in 2011 and all the way to, to 2019, there are about 10 million users. Some of you have heard of that Zoom, right? Yes. And then came the pandemic. Six months later, there were 200 million people using Zoom. Uh, things are just changing so rapidly, and we could go on and we think, well, it's just a new thing. It's not really. All the way back 800 years before Christ, Isaiah said, you know, the past things have passed. Behold, I'm showing you new things, and I'm going let you know to let you know what they're going to be even beforehand. Paul talks about it when he says, uh, for those who are in Christ, they are a brand new creation. Of course, the risen Lord tells us that he is going to make all things new. 
And this is a difficult thing. You know, we just struggle with this. This is just how it is. And, and uh, there's not much we can, we can do about it other than to realize what's going on. And Jesus tells a fantastic story on the background of, of what's going on here. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Luke uh, chapter 5, and I'll read from verse 33. That's Luke chapter 5. I'll read from verse 33 in the next few verses. And it's all about how come you make all these things so different, Jesus? Why is it that things are new? And how do we respond as a church, as young people, as, as Christians uh, to this? And so it begins like this. It says, then the Pharisees and the scribes, that's the day there, right? So then the Pharisees and the scribes said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers. And those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, no, uh, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. No, uh, no, the new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking the old wine wants a new because he simply says, the old is better. Now, people always struggled with Jesus when he says, see, I make all things new. So... This whole new approach and this whole reality that is going on uh, created this question. It came up again and again. How is it, Jesus, that you make things new? They change. We like it the way they were. Why is it that you're changing that? And why am I saying that that came up all the time? It's because that very situation right here came up again and again. If you read the same story in Matthew, for example, right, you will see that it is the the disciples of John the Baptist that came and, and asked those questions, right? And then if you look at the thing in Mark, you'll see it's people in in general that came with him uh, to him with that question and then you look the same here in Luke and it is the scribes and the Pharisees coming with that question what that tells us when when the gospel writers are, are referring to these events when people come to Jesus and they have all these different kinds of groups coming to him and say how is it Jesus that you are not like the others that you chain things up that means that this was the thing that came up again and again. Sometimes it was the Pharisees, sometimes it was people in general, sometimes it was uh, disciples of other rabbis. You know, it can't be the other rabbis' disciples. They do like we always did. What's going on? And so the question here becomes pretty clear. It's a matter of how do we stay fresh how do we find this refreshing new energy that comes with the gospel to every generation at all times again and again? And so uh, let me, let me uh, 
talk to you a little bit about this, if you'll allow me to. The case in point here was a, was a question about fasting. That may not be the question that we ask at first time, but it is still a real burning question at that time. How come all the other rabbis, uh, disciples, they do what we usually do? And you say, why is that? Well, the reason is that things have just become so normal. If I asked you, why would they fast? They would have said, beats me. That's just what we do. We've always done that, right? And they had always done that for at least 500 years. It had become the kind of way that they expressed their devotion to God and they expressed their, their worship. They could not really tell why they did it like that. It was just to become the pattern. It's what you do. This is how it is. And so no more questions asked. So let's go back. If you have a pen and pencil, you have interest in these things, it might be that you're interested here. What is it that is going on in Scripture about fasting? Why is it that Jesus can speak the way he does about these new things or approaching things in a new and refreshing and energetic type way when it comes to the presence of God? Well, in the Old Testament, it's only required that you fast one day a year, and that is on that great day of atonement. And then there were some that voluntarily would would fast at other times to express different kinds of things, right? Sometimes it was expressing that there's a deep repentance going on. I I need to re-devote my life to God. I know I stepped uh, on the wrong path and I need to recommit my life to God and express that through prayers and fasting and full dedication. At other times, maybe the whole nation would do that because of national calamity. And they said, we need to seek God in a deeper way than we normally do it. And at other times, there were special kinds of, of sorrow and despair in the individual families and, and individual situations. And, and they would voluntarily say, I need to dedicate myself in a special way here for that. Those were the kind of uh, exceptions that were there voluntarily uh, involving themselves in that. And so, about five, six hundred years before Christ, Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem and took, took Israel to Babylon. Of course, when they're there, they can't sacrifice they can't do the offerings that they could at, at Jerusalem, right? Because that's only happening on the altar in Jerusalem. So they needed new ways of expressing their piety and show off what they could do. And so fasting became kind of the pattern. How do I show that I'm more devoted to God than you are devoted to God? And so I fast more than you do. And, and they put on these faces. They look really sorrowful and it's really painful. And so the Pharisees kind of paraded their devotion by fasting twice a week, every Monday and every Thursday. And so, in that way, they they got to this point where this became a way of kind of saying to God, I've done these things, now you need to reward me back. Now, Jesus himself fasted, but he did not do so to kind of do a favor for God or to earn God's favor. He did that so that he could just express that there are times 
when I need to kind of devote myself in a deeper way. And you see that in the fasting periods of Jesus where he says, I need to sink deeper in to my understanding of who God has really called me to be. You see it right after his baptism when God has, has called him out to be his son and, and for everyone to, to, uh, to recognize that this is my beloved son. And he's sent straight out into this period of fasting where he seeks God's presence to understand more who he is. And after that is when he's sent out into the world. You see the exact same pattern when, when you see <clears throat> the early Christians, if you read about that, it's that same kind of recognition that we need to devote ourselves to God to better understand our calling, to recognize how much we need to focus on him through prayer and fasting. But notice Jesus' warning over in, in Matthew chapter 6 when he's saying, when you fast, don't do like the hypocrites who puts on a sad face, who let everybody know how excruciating difficult this is. Instead, look bright, be full of joy. Don't let anyone see that this is between you and God, that you are expressing to God your recognition that everything else can be put aside as long as I can focus on God. Even food, everything, I can focus on God. You know, the Pharisees and the scribes, they could fast. To them, faith and religion was not a feast of joy. Through their dried up kind of routines and regulation and rules, if you will, maybe they could find some kind of reward or sense of, of righteousness, if you will. But they found no song in their lives, no real joy in their life. And Jesus came exactly to refresh people's devotion to God, to refresh their energy in their faith. As he opened up that door and made that possible. Do you remember what he said when he met a Samaritan woman? You can read it if you don't remember the story. Don't even know the story. It's in John chapter 4. He says to her, The one who drinks of the water that I give them will never thirst. In fact, the water that I give will become in them a wellspring of life, even eternal life. The joy connected with this that is, that is powerful. Uh, John's disciples could fast because to them faith was not a joy feast either. It was a warning about the impending doom and about not to flee from the coming wrath, so to speak. To feel the holiness of God was to them, was to them to feel the axe already placed at the feet of the root of the tree or to, to feel the wind, uh, that is, that is, uh, splitting the, the shaft from the wheat, if you will. Through that, Maybe they found some cautiousness. Maybe they found some, some careful preparation of things. But there was no cheer. There was no jubilation. 
They lost the joy. And, and Jesus swept all this away. And, and he revealed God's glory as a glory that is tightly connected with grace and mercy. Are we seeing this, friends? I want you to never miss that, ever. It is Jesus who says himself about it, the gospel that he's presenting, that it is a joyous message, a joy feast, if you, he, if you will. I've sent this to you, he says, his words, that your joy, my joy shall be in you and that your joy will be complete. It is as if he is recalibrating. He's saying, let's look at the essence of this. Let's look at what really matters when it comes to the faith, to that, to those who are walking with me. What is it that, that brings us close to God? That's what matters. Let's look at the essence and get rid of some of the other things. Just powerful when you start to look at that. Does that not refresh your energy? I just have to ask. I had to ask myself, have I I gotten stuck in some of these other things? How do I get my energy for Christ refreshed? If that's not it, listening to Jesus like this, I don't know what would be. And so Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, he's saying, how can I make sure my point get across? Like we hadn't gotten it. We got it. But he wants to make sure, right? So what is he doing? He's giving us a couple of parables that no one can miss, right? The first one about clothing. It's hard to miss, right? No one will buy a new pair of slacks only to cut a piece of cloth out that you can patch an old pair of slacks or dress. You don't wear slacks, right? We get that point, right? That nobody will do that, but more than that, it can't happen, Jesus says. It's not possible, but what would happen is that when the old cloth is kind of deteriorating and, and falling to pieces, then the seam of, of, uh, that you would make to sew the new patch on the old will tear the old apart. It really is as if Jesus is saying that there are some that are ready for little bites of my gospel. Little bites that they can use, that they can kind of sew onto, weave into, if you will, the old ideas, the old lifestyle, the old things that they do. Every time life gets a little kind of raggedy at the edges and a little torn, let's just put on another patch. But that's Impossible. That's the exact point of this parable. My word, Jesus says, must change out, totally transform, absolutely replace the former life. There's a new life coming. And those of you who are going to places where mom and dad are no longer, remember this. Where there used to be a mom or dad tapping your shoulder saying there's homework to be done. Now there's someone else tapping your shoulder that's going to say there's fun to be had. In the midst of this, listen to Christ. Brand new life. 
The gospel about Christ cannot be used as a piece of cloth that you cut patches of. Christian faith is not patches, but a new life. Not a new crutch to help you limp along a little bit longer, but a brand new life. Not a new spice to make the old food kind of taste slightly different, but a brand new life. I think there's a lot of Christians around the world, not just in, in our sphere, but around the world, and some of us included, and I certainly will not keep myself outside of that. That there's just, we've gotten used to the fact that, you know, to be a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that we live a brand new life. It, it, it's, it's more that we live the same life we would have done otherwise. Pretty much. Yes? We just add a little patch. You know, the Christian patches are all over the place. Right? One patch could be that I don't use foul language. Another Christian patch could be that I'm honest. I'm not cheating uh, my neighbors. Like no decent person should ever do that anyway, right? Another patch could be that, that you go to church every so often. Another patch could be and you can just add on to it, right? Every time there's a little kind of a tear in the fabric, we'll put on a new patch. But when it's all said and done, so much of it is the same old dress with lots of little patches. And Jesus says, no, may there be a brand new clothing. I sometimes wonder if it's our fault, we who preach, pastors, that maybe we have not made it clear enough that, that the life that Jesus talks about is not a life of patches, but a brand new life. Not new patches, but new life. You remember the, the, the story you can read about it in chapter 18 of Luke if you don't know the story. It's fair enough. It's called a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. It says about him he was righteous. He kept all the laws. He was well-to-do. You know, it's the kind of guy who would make Baptist deacon in a week. <laughs> Hello, as he came forward. Oh, yeah, the rich young ruler. We got a comedian, too. We can use you in, right? Hello. But Jesus looked right through him and said, if you want a brand new life, this is what it looks like for you. And he walked away because what he was looking for was another patch, not a brand new life. And so it's so easy to love what we know. But here's the thing. What Jesus wants us to get and what he provides what he offers is the kind of life that will fill you with joy and regenerated or re-energized faith that you had never known if you see how that works you know uh, some of you are as old as I am right Um, you remember when I was just a kiddo patchwork was in it may have come back. Who knows? I just hadn't paid enough attention. You remember that? 
Everything had to be patchwork. You, you cut all kind of little squares out and your, your blankets were made out of patchwork, right? Your shirts were made out of patchwork. Your coats were made out of patchwork. Your pants. It just sewed together patches. Yes? And it was the coolest, hippest thing ever, right? Life was just about patchwork. And the same way, I think, it's easy for us to think of life that way. Just think of modern life. And the whole way you think of that, even postmodernity is kind of saying that there need not be a meta-narrative that guides all things, just a lot of patches that works for me. And so it becomes somewhat easy to say, hey, I'm going to take a little thing from that religion. I like that. I'm going to take a little bit of this common sense that I have, a little bit about what mama said when I was a boy, a little bit of what, what this philosophy says, a little bit of what I heard that, a little bit of what I saw on TV that looks really cool. Just a lot of patchwork and life becomes this patchwork sewn together pieces. And so we see here the greatest warning against this. It will not work. When Jesus promises what he promises, he promises on the background of someone who has said, I want my life to be replaced by the life that comes from following Christ. Not adding a couple of patches, but from living fully with him in a brand new clothing. It has always been tough for people when they heard Jesus say, Behold, I make all things new. And if the current time is not making that easy to understand, I don't know what will. And so we got it. But then as if we, he wants to make sure we truly get it, he's adding yet another parable. It was, it was not enough just to nail down what he has said, but this third parable is, is so strong because it seals the truth in a way that we can truly get it uh, and, and see how that has to do with refreshing energy, new energy. And he's working on it like this. He grew up in a, in a home. Right, and it, in, in Galilee, and it, it's pretty clear what's going on in Galilee uh, with that. The old homes they would have hanging from the ceiling along the wall up, they would have these leather skins, right? Sometimes it was just a, a belly, actually, of an animal that had been dried out and, and hung up for that. And they used them as containers for the wine when that was fermigating. And then when it was ready, they could take it down and use it. So everybody kind of got that picture. It was not difficult to get. And so what happens? He said, well, everybody knows that you will not put brand new wine in an old wineskin because when that begins to ferment and begin to expand and so on, it will crack and it will spill the wine. And that's really his concern here, the spilled wine. His concern is not for the wineskins, they have been good for when they lasted. He's concerned about the new wine. And that should be our concern too, friends. Are we hearing this? May God have mercy if he sees us be more interested in the skins than in the new wine. 
That's the point. Just notice what's going on here, right? We, we need to recognize that what he says is that no one, not even God, would put new wine on old wineskins. But we also need to read what it says here. He does not say, like some people have in error concluded, that this must mean that, that age and, and old churches and, and long-time Christians, that they you know, cannot be filled with the new wine. That is just flat wrong. That's not what it says. The emphasis here is let's make sure that we stay flexible. Let's make sure that we understand and we have this elasticity that understand that the new wine will come in and move in a different way than it might have done before. I think we get some of this, right? Um, I had I had an old what's the word here crusty is that a good word a member of the church overseas funny as all get out because his wit was so dry it just about cracked when he spoke but everybody got it he's he's been in the church forever and it was since Jesus came right pretty much <laughs> and everybody knew him he was there so at one time in the business meeting they were discussing some and there were some not nearly his age but still they were close some of the young people were wanting to try something now to kind of reach new people for Christ and and so some were speaking up against that was it and he got up and when he did that everybody looked always and he said you know I've been here since I was a little child and we had made a lot of steps forward during those years I've been against every one of them. (laughs) And then he sat down. Brilliant, right? Brilliant just to see it's not about just changing stuff, but it is about looking what is the Spirit doing and how can we step forward with Christ when he's doing here. So let's look again for a few seconds on the old skins that have lost their elasticity. And that's what Jesus was speaking to, right? Remember the old Judaism that has just fossilized in their forms and their patterns? And he's saying, make sure when God pours out his spirit, make sure when God shows up, make sure when God is doing his work and it is God's work that you have the elasticity to see it and to be moved and to be shaped according to what God is doing. No one should cry over old patterns that have been fantastic when they were good and then say, hey, they had their time, they had their function, they were God was using this, but God moves now in ways that may be different because we face a brand new day. It is more important that that spontaneous energy that comes from the new, the fresh wine is not spilled. I'm going to bring this home with just a simple illustration. I think we know it intuitively. And you see it even in the marketplace. Remember the old VW Beetle, right? The Volkswagen? Yes? And then they let go of that. And they made all kind of junk that nobody cared to buy. And then they came back and did the Beetle, right? Yes? Just like the old one, yes? No, it wasn't. 
It looked like the old one. Have you been in the new one? It's nothing like the old one. I remember the old one. The new one is, remember Mustang, those of you who don't do German cars, you just do American cars. The 70s version of the Mustang, how cool that was, yes? And then a lot of years passed where they made all kinds of junk nobody cared for, yes? And then they made one that looked just like that, except it didn't quite look like that. A new, improved version of the true, and that's what they call vintage, right? The quality that can last, that has to be reshaped, that has to be refocused, and has to be rethought. Because we can't miss the essence, right? It's like when Paul comes and he preaches. You can see it throughout, uh, throughout the, the book of Acts, right? He comes to a place. He does what he always does. Chapter 19 spells it out. He goes to the Jewish synagogue first. When they will not hear what he says, he goes to Tyrannus' hall to preach because the message can't change. But the way that he presents it will, yes, just across the street. How powerful would that be? If we truly understood that. Those of you who are going to college, wherever you go, remember brand new life. Those of us who are here in the looks of this city, this marvelous place called Louisville or all of North Dallas, if you will, if not North Texas. Just think about it. A good friend of mine is a professor and a pastor in Romania, and they've worked a lot with the R- R- Ukrainians coming to Bucharest. And all these R- Ukrainians that has to flee because of the stuff you've seen on TV. And we pray for them here. We, I hope you continue to do that every day. They now come together. It's almost like out of the book of Acts, as they were fleeing Jerusalem, coming up to Antioch. And they gather, and they start churches. New churches are popping up because we have to share the gospel. New Ukrainian churches all over Europe reaching out, becoming missionaries in their new places. Fresh wine for new situations. Powerful as God moves. Let us pray. Father, We're out of words, really, when we stand before you and we recognize how easy it is for us to confuse the skins for the wine. But we ask that you would do our work, your work in us. We ask that you move us in strong ways and let us recognize that you are here to bring us a new clothing, one that is straight from you. Lord, we ask your forgiveness if our lives look more like patches and patchwork than it does wearing a brand new clothing from the Lord himself. As we come home, as we're here this morning, as we're sitting at home, maybe already wherever we are, speak to our hearts. Let us know your presence. Make us, as individuals, as homes, And as church, this great, great church, First Baptist Church of Louisville, let us hear your voice and keep us fresh that we can be refreshed by new energy for a faith that will not let go. 
of the one we call our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand, friends. You may grab someone's hand and just say a prayer right now. You may want to come down here and talk to someone. You may want to come kneel and just, you know, for yourself, uh, just be that or with someone. Whatever it is, don't just hear yet another sermon. There's a group all traveling also from the church here, right? We want to pray for them as well. But please, hear these words, both for your own sake and for the sake of those that you meet.